When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today it's the feast of St. Nick, Nicholas of Murrah. We'll talk about him, read some scripture, and hopefully become younger. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nicholas of Murrah is uh, dated to the 3rd century into the 4th, born somewhere around 270 A.D., and then dies somewhere in the 340s. He dies on December 6th, so that becomes his feast day, which conveniently is near the time Christians at that time would have celebrated the birth of Jesus, although the birth of Jesus being celebrated by Christians was kind of a new holiday around that time. Early Christians did have some trouble celebrating Christmas because of the associations with the emperor worship and the emphasis on the emperor's birthday. And how so Early Christians spent a lot more time celebrating Jesus' baptism, which then kind of got shuffled into their celebration of his birth. And today we celebrate his birth primarily and not so much his baptism. Incidentally, Joan of Arc's baptismal date is always listed in just about every history book you'll ever read as January 6th, the date of Jesus' baptism. But some more careful historians have noted that, or actually Joan of Arc's birth is often listed as January 6th, the date of Jesus' baptism, because that is the date that we have the record of her baptism in the parish church where she grew up. Whereas um, that's probably the record of her baptism all the babies would have been baptized on the day of Jesus' baptism, which is convenient and good. But Nicholas, his birth is before Jesus' birth, or his death is before Jesus' birth, his feast day. He's living in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, the Greek and Roman world. And he lives in that world. He spans the life of Christians who 
when he's born, Christianity is somewhat tolerated in the Roman Empire to the end of his life where Christianity becomes more or less the official religion of the Roman Empire. And he gets to live through that transition. He's known, there's a number of stories about him. He is um, so early in Christian history from a time when there were lots, there was lots of oral tradition and and written hagiography, writings of the saint lives in his time. So we do have a lot of accounts of his life. Uh, one of the earliest stories that is attested to him is the one you'll get to hear Sunday when St. Nicholas <clears throat> visits our church. And it's a really dark story. It is a story of these three girls who are being likely to be forced into a life of prostitution because of the lack of family money that they have. Uh, parents then and now uh, do horrible things for, for the support and for their family's livelihood. And this seems to be what was happening there in his town. This father was contemplating selling these children into slavery, which would have involved prostitution and horrible exploitation, as you can imagine. The slave codes under Constantine are revised when he becomes emperor, but this is before he becomes emperor. So slavery is very much a part of the Roman world at the time of Nicholas. So the story goes that he drops sacks of gold, gold coins through the window of their house each night for three nights so their father could pay a dowry for them, each of them to get married. This act of love and charity for these children is where we get the associations of Santa Claus and Christmas and all those other wonderful stories of bringing presents to children in chimneys. I'm sure there's a legend about him dropping him down the chimney as well. But lots of uh, joyful exuberance when people woke up in the morning to see these gifts to save their lives. Uh, There's other stories about him calming a storm at sea. That's why he's the patron saint of seafarers, saving three innocent soldiers from wrongful execution, chopping down a tree possessed by a demon And he is said to have made a pilgrimage to Egypt and to Israel. And he became Bishop of Mira after those pilgrimages. He was persecuted under the reign of Emperor Diocletian, but then released when Constantine became the Roman emperor. He is an early, there's an early list of him being at the Council of Nicaea. So whenever you say the Nicene Creed in church. He may or may not have had a part in writing that. He certainly was there um, ratifying that. Not all the bishops that came to the Council of Nicaea agreed that that would be an adequate statement of Trinitarian theology, but most of them agreed to it after they signed it. 
And so this is a part of the world that Nicholas lived in, this Nicene Creed, this creed that seems rather uh, outdated to us today. It's like, yeah, of course we all believe in God and we believe in Jesus and we believe in the Holy Spirit. But at that time in the Christian church, not everyone agreed on how those, those relationships between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit worked. There is, of course, the Arian heresy. Arius is still alive then. He is the pastor and bishop who leads a splinter movement in Christianity, mainly asserting that Jesus of Nazareth is not God, not a member of any trinity or any other God like entity in the universe. Jesus is a good man, maybe an angel, a prophet, and among a lot of other great things, but he's not part of this Godhead that Trinitarian Christians, Orthodox Christians, we might call them, believed at that time. There is a story you'll see on social media a lot about Nicholas punching Arius, the heretic, at the Council of Nicaea. There is no historical evidence for this event um, from contemporary writing. Later, there was some, um, there was an unsubstantiated legend that he roughed up Arius and slapped him. Again, not a full-on punch like you'll see in the pictures on social media. But he may have slapped him. We don't know. The legend goes that he was, he confronted Arius. He slapped him in anger, trying to knock some sense into him. And for that offense, at the council, he was temporarily defrocked and imprisoned for doing that. So his violent actions are not commended in any way, shape, or form by the Christian church, um, in spite of what you'll see on social media, clergy sometimes sharing those to our shame not good for us to be hitting people and temporary, temporarily de- being defrocked for that is probably a good idea. There's a story about him resurrecting three children who had been murdered and pickled in brine by a butcher. He was going to sell them as pork during a famine. That's a pretty macabre story, but that is the world that Nicholas lived in. A world of violence, of threat, of fear, of anger. And in that world, he witnessed to the reality of grace that the circumstances that we face are not the end. And the goodness of children. Uh, Children have always been treasured by their parents throughout time and in memorial. And yet, uh, certainly in times of great scarcity, like Nicholas lived through, uh, children are seen as less of a jo- as a good thing in people's lives, and hence the story of these uh, this father going to sell his children into slavery, and also the story of three children being pickled in brine to be sold as food. That's pretty horrific, and it seems that perhaps people in that time, or at least in those circumstances, did not value children very much. We live in a very child-centered world today. The, the Quakers claim that as their badge of honor, that, we, that they shifted American culture from being grown-up centric to child-centric. Certainly our educational system and the way we train and discipline children has been greatly affected by 
Quaker ideology in schools in America in that um, children in and of themselves are, are good in that the way they are and need to be nurtured, encouraged, and not uh, rigidly punished and, and abused so that they become good. It's amazing to me to see people still sharing memes and other things about how children need to be beaten or spanked today, even on next door when you see somebody unplugged my Christmas lights, some teen, we caught him on camera, and then the comments will roll. People aren't spanking their kids anymore. And that's where this all developed. Um, This is the world that Nicholas lived in, and it's a world that many children live in today, fearing for their lives, fearing the threat of violence from their own parents. And so we listen to the words of Jesus, who said that people don't need to get older to be his follower. We need to get younger to be his follower. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus never taught children. He taught grown-ups. He taught grown-ups exclusively. He never taught children. He never preached at children. He never, as far as I know, had any big sermons to children or anything like that. But he blessed children, and he loved children, and he held them up as the example for how we ought to live, all of us. So we, if you ever want to know what you should do in a situation, uh, maybe look at the children in your life and th- think about what they would do to follow Jesus. They wouldn't have all the equivocation and backs and forths. Children are very clear about what is right and what is wrong, and that's what helps us to see those, those things for ourselves many times. Uh, so being living in this world and having a childlike faith is what God wants us to do, not to have a childish faith where we're constantly complaining and mad about things and why did, why did that lollipop get taken away from us, but having a childlike faith where we are open to the possibilities of God, that when you tell a child Santa Claus is real, he's going to bring you a present, they're like, great. That sounds like a good idea. I can't wait to have it. Um, you tell a grown-up, God is real, and God's going to give you some good things in your life. We're all like, mm, I don't know. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I've lived long enough to know there's a lot of bad things that can happen to me, and I'm not sure God is going to give me anything or help me with these troubles that I'm in. So let's have the faith of children today to say yes to God, even if it seems impossible. Because God wants to drop some gold coins in our stockings as well. Amen. The Lord be with you and also with you. Let us pray. Grant, Almighty God, that your church may be so inspired by the example of your servant, Nicholas of Myra that it may never cease to work for the welfare of children, the safety of sailors, the relief of the poor, and the help of those tossed by tempests of doubt or grief. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.